that did. Um, the other thing that families do when they get together is they tell stories. I know with my family, when the Nolans get together, and there are stories galore. And my kids, we hear the same stories over and over again, but they're still funny. And the way we tell them, uh, I don't know, they just become part of the fabric of the, of the family. And when family gets together, they tell stories. So I've got a few stories for us today. Um, we're starting a new series between now and uh, Easter, and it's on hunger for God, cultivating you know, a hunger for God. And I thought um, maybe the best way to, to start this out is to maybe tell a story. And uh, Maggie had a Facebook post that I thought was somewhat uh, interesting or revealing at the very least. Um, <laughs> she, uh, uh, she said basically that at a certain point during the food pantry yesterday that she was in the office uh, with her thumb in her mouth in the fetal position because things had gotten out of hand. And to all the people who were there in the middle of the chaos, because she had worked herself up into a frenzy, literally, I'm not kidding, she had, um, she had like uh, AFib going on a couple times during the day yesterday, because this, you know, it's like when you have the dread, you know, when you ever get the dread, and then the dread starts happening, she had to excuse herself and go into the room, and she's talking, she was, I've run million-dollar, like, catering businesses before, I can do this, I can handle this. So it was really bad, and she was actually suggested to go by the team. She said, Maggie, get away from the Iraqis, go in the other room. So... Uh, so that was going on. That's my first Maggie story. But we're here to talk about spiritual hunger. So, and since Maggie's not here, I have a, a full open docket to tell some, another Maggie story. Absolutely, you know, unedited. So, um, you know, families have, have code, too. And Maggie and I have this code word. It's called ministering to the prostitutes, okay? And what that is, is that, that means that you have gone a little too far in ministry. You've gone over the edge in your spiritual hunger. You're in a bad place. So here's the story. We've had a, um, a ministry down at the shelters and to the poor and various things for a number of years. And we've been going for a few years. Well, Maggie hears about this place in Los Angeles that was doing amazing things. They had uh, this old hospital that had been abandoned in a poor part of L.A. And uh, some church people had got it. They, they resourced it. I mean, they were serving meals out of it. They were doing outreach. Um, a fellow by the name of uh, Tommy Barnett, a young Assemblies of God pastor, was running it. He called it the Dream Center. And Meg says, well, this is what we need to be doing. I've got to get out there. So her spiritual hunger led her to California. And um, they would have like full days. I mean, it was like, I mean, you had, you had to be passionate to just hang in there for this event. So they'd start in the morning with some teachings and some things going on. By noon, they're serving lunch somewhere. Then they go to parks and do outreaches with kids. They ended up in Skid Row, literally in L.A., in Skid Row, where they had the cardboard and all the various people with different addictions, and they were ministering. And, you know, at the Vineyard, one thing that we're taught is, you know, we relate to people wherever they are. In fact, uh, you know, we're kind of real, maybe too real, actually. Um, and so Maggie was out there. She had her sweatshirt on and took off any jewelry she might have just to relate and identify. But not every church culture is necessarily like that. So um, the day's winding down. They leave Skid Row. They bring a bunch of people back on the bus to serve a meal and get prayer and, and, and whatever. So Maggie's sitting on the bus. It had been, you know, it's maybe 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 11 hours of ministry. And she's a little tired. And one of the nice church ladies, okay, greeted Maggie and said, we are so glad to have you coming back to the Dream Center. And she had on a beautiful blazer and her necklaces and earrings and, uh, you know, and, and of course Maggie's like looking up at her, as you might imagine if you know Maggie, with a look on her face. And, she, and Maggie just let her go on and say, you know, is there anything I can pray about? And Maggie says, listen, I've been with you since 8 a.m. <laughs> I'm on the church team. <laughs> and she 
chuckled, and she said, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. So she was a little mortified. But, uh, so they go back, and, you know, the funds begin. They have meals. They've got preaching going on. By now, it's about 8 o'clock, 8.30, okay? Maggie's a little tired, okay? It's been a long day. And the person who is at the microphone says, hey, everybody, in a half an hour, okay, we're going to be loading up the buses and ministering to the prostitutes. And then people all around her, yes, let's go minister to the prostitutes. And Maggie's like, are you people insane? Are you crazy? And she did not go, okay? But the reason I'm telling you that is it's family code. If you ever hear Maggie and I talking about that, it's, it's like when your spiritual hunger has gone a little too far, when you've got a little too much, you know, zeal. But here's the deal, okay? Because this is, what, this is what Jesus said, okay? Which is authority. Jesus said that he would desire that we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our strength. And that we would love our neighbors as ourselves, right? Okay, and it's something that's called wholeheartedness. Wholeheartedness toward God. And when you're in that place, quite honestly, it's the best place to be a Christian from. You know, because you're, you're loving God, there's this natural, like, forward lean into God. You're expecting God to do things. He's moving. Um, you don't have to stir up hunger, which I'm supposedly doing today. Uh, you don't have to do that because it's just natural. You want to find out more about this person that in the midst of your sin still loves you. So you're investigating and you're just going and it's just, you know, it's a great place. You know, I remember, you know, you would just be looking for a word. You were so, um, I think one of the characteristics is, you are very attentive to hearing God, and you would drive around. And, you know, as you're driving, you might see, like, at Burger King, they have their ad campaign, aren't you hungry? And you're like, oh, yes, Lord, I'm hungry. Oh, how I hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, I received that word, I hunger. Thank you when you say that I will be filled. And you drive on. And you pass by the appliance store, and you see the different logos. But one logo stands out because you've been studying, you've been hearing Greek, the pastor's been sharing Greek words, and you see magna vox, Great voice. Oh, Lord, you are the great voice. You are the voice that spoke to the void over the waters and creation came into existence. Oh, I love you. You are the creator God. And you're just driving along because you know what? You're attentive and you hear from God and you're like, this is great. I'm just, this is what a great time. And you go to the next place. You just randomly go by the high school and it says spring sports banquet. And you're like, oh, Jesus. Oh, Lord, you are the one who invites me to your banqueting table. And you say that you put a banner over me, and it's love because you love me. You call me your beloved, and you want to tell everybody, oh, you love me so much. And you're just like, I mean, you're almost blown away. You can barely drive. Then you pass by Taco Bell, and on the marquee at Taco Bell, it says two Burrito Supremes for the price of one. And you're like, oh. But you realize Burrito Supremes are not in the Scriptures. But you love Burrito Supremes. And God knows me and he knows I love Burrito Supremes. And he's brought me to this place to have a great deal on Burrito Supremes. God, you are awesome. So that's, that's living from the place of hunger. You know, it, it just is. You're just, I mean, you're here. I mean, seriously, I know that there are some fringe freaks in this church that could tell stories about how God spoke to them in ways that probably aren't fit for the microphone, but they're true. I'm just saying that. I, I'm not going to give any examples, John. But anyway, there's, there's a spiritual dynamic that takes place. And the title of my talk today is um, Eat and Be Hungry. Not eat and be filled, but eat and be hungry. Because in the kingdom, it's kind of counterintuitive. You know, in our natural person, we eat and we're filled. Uh-uh. No. In the kingdom of God, when you eat, 
it makes you more hungry. Because it's not satisfying a physical need, but it's satisfying a state that we need to be in. I mean, there was a time when we were in a state of total oneness with the Father. You know, we would, he would walk in the cool of the garden with Adam and Eve, and everything was met, everything he needed. When the separation happened, it wasn't that way. So we, we long, we long to be in that place. So what happens is when we're touching God, when we're experiencing God, when we're eating from his table, things are going into us, okay? There's this dynamic of, wow, I feel good. I want more of that. And you never get filled. In fact, you actually get more hungry. The more you eat, the, the hungrier you are. And you guys, I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, but you remember that, right? When you were a first believer, right? During that season, okay? You're just like taking it in. You start out as a little infant baby Christian and Take in some teachings, a little bit of word, God meets you here, you're praying, you're being touched, and you start to build up, you know, as an individual. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's a good thing. But that's, that's the dynamic. That's, that's what happens. And, you know, hence the title, you know, eat and be hungry. So there's a number of ways that we can go about being hungry, but I, I'm a firm believer that getting touched, you know, eating from the table of God is the best thing. But, but what happens, okay, somewhere along the line, you know, reality strikes in, okay, and we're not quite as hungry as we used to be, and other things start to fill. I mean, heck, we've got work, we've got family, we've got uh, different things, and here's the problem, though, is that when you don't eat, when you're not receiving the spiritual nutrients, um, you start to get a little weaker, and in addition to that, you're just, you're not hungry. And when you're weaker and you're less hungry, it, it makes you a little bit more susceptible to the things of the world. Amen? I mean, you just, you're just not strong. I mean, we know we've moved in and out of this place. And sometimes you can even get disillusioned, you know, in your Christianity and your walk with Jesus. I mean, you know, you know Jesus and you love Jesus. You don't question that. But, but you're just not in, in the same place. Now, our walk, our walk with God, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. There are times when we sprint, and sprinting is fun. Okay, I was more of a sprinter, not like a long-distance runner like many of you who I know are out there are. But the sprint is fun, uh, and, and I love that place. But it's really, it's ebbs and flows, amen? Ebbs and flows. Where sometimes you're in an ebb season. The flow season is when you're a new believer, uh, or sometimes you, you contact this revelation and healing, and you're in this healing season. You're like, oh, this is great, and you can't get enough of it. Or God puts you in a home group, and you've got fellowship, and, and, and you're getting fellowship, and there's community, and that disconnectedness is going away, and God's doing something. But there's a number of things that happen in this marathon with God that um, they, they bring you back in to the season of hunger, the season of flow. But I'm not here to talk about flow right now. It's ebbing, okay? What about when you're ebbing, when the tide is ebbed out, okay? Um, that's, it can be a dangerous place. I mean, Jesus talks about it in the parable of the sower, okay? You know, he talks about he sows seed on different kinds of ground, okay? And he talked about one where he sows the seed, and it begins to get choked out. And I think that the scripture, let me get my glasses. I'm going I'm to just read it to you. It says, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in, and they choke the word, making it unfruitful. So he says, wealth, worries, and other things come in. Now, worries are something that, I mean, our society, they're, I mean, how much, 
how many anti-anxiety drugs are there? And it's so easy, you know, in a fast-paced world, okay, for us to get myopic about life. I mean, you know, we get very task-oriented. Our face goes down. We just, we're hitting it. We're hitting it. We're getting the kids off to school. We're doing everything we can just to survive. And our eyes that used to be on the marquees where God was talking to you, they start to turn down, and they're just so focused on the things and the worries of the day. Worse yet, sometimes they turn inward, okay, which is, you know, and they're focused on problems. And instead of feasting on God's faithfulness, instead of, you know, taking in spiritual nutrients, they're, they're taking in this, this closed system of bad air and depression and various things happen. And it, it can just, it chokes the life out of your relationship with God because you're not seeing him, you know, or wealth. I, in my research, I was... Um, uh, I don't know whether he's a doctor of theology, but this is what he said. He said this. He says, I've got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. And that was, of course, Dr. Dre, the noted theologian from Los Angeles. But isn't that true? You know, when we dwell on money, okay, it can, it can be like a never-ending cycle of, of, I don't know, just self-consumption and worry and anxiety, and it, and it chokes out the life. Didn't you like that one, didn't you, Steve? Yeah, and you liked it. I've heard people talk about that. <laughs> That's good. And of course, other things are just other things. There's just so many things. I mean, we are living in the West, okay? There, are, there is so much competition for your affections, for your time, okay, that it is, it is really easy to just get other things. And all of a sudden, there's no room. You lose your God bandwidth is basically what happens because you're just so crowded. You've got so many windows open in life, okay, that you don't have bandwidth to connect with God or God connect with you. And, and, and that's, that's the problem. That's one of the things that we, um, we try to deal with. And, um, you know, I can speak all of this from experience because, you know, I, I've been in a season of ebbing, quite honestly. I mean, I, I don't think I've preached here since John, what was it, like 97 or something like that? I don't know. No, it hasn't been that long, but, but it's been a while. And, and I don't know whether any of you can relate to what I'm saying about this, this place of ebbing, not having bandwidth, not being hungry. I know you probably know people, okay, and friends of friends that know people that are not always flowing but are ebbing. But, um, but I, I think God desires us to... To, to flow again, you know, when, when we're ebbing, and, and he meets us. And I'm going to tell you a story. This is something that happened to me two weeks ago. I was having a, um, having a rough week. Um, <laughs> I had gone to a customer, my biggest customer, and I was shooting some video, and they had people in from, um, oh, not that far, just uh, uh, Columbia, uh, Holland, um, <laughs> Texas, and I was shooting him on video. Well, in the middle of the video, uh, my camera messes up. And I'm like, oh, crap, I'm in trouble. Uh, so I had to um, say, listen, um, I'm going to come back tomorrow. Let me get this fixed. So I was able to avert that crisis. So the next day, I- I'm driving in, and uh, my fuel pump goes out. I don't know what goes on. It just stops, okay? I mean, I mean literally in mid-drive. And I- I'm like, I don't even have a, diagno- a diagnosis for this. I mean, that's what it was. But So I had to call and, again, make an excuse. I'll be a couple hours late and this and that. And I was able to get to Dayton, you know, in time to do the photo shoot. Day is saved. Meanwhile, I'm getting a number of friendly communiques from my folks over at the IRS, which, you know, I do periodically. Uh, so that's kind of weighing on me. And then Maggie, you know, in her spirit of encouragement, shares with me, hey, Jay, I had a dream about you last night and that you were um, on the water and there were all these hands from underwater and they were coming and they were trying to pull your boat down, okay? 
and I, I have not told Maggie all this stuff that's going on. She had enough on her plate at the time. And she goes, and I think there's something coming against your business. And I'm like, you know, yeah, maybe, I don't know. And I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> now, if I'm in a season of flow, okay, this is what happens, okay? I, I go upstairs and I shut the door or I hop in the car and I take a long trip. But, I mean, spiritual warfare is on. I am storming the gates of heaven. I am binding every foul spirit, everything, every snare of the enemy. I mean, I am going at it. And if you were in my car, you would think I was nuts. In fact, I've been driving up to Cleveland before where I, all, all somebody who passed by me would see is this. I'm, <laughs> and I'm serious, like, but... but but, you know, when, when you know God wants to move, you know, you, you get the juices flowing and you, and you go after it. Okay, this was not the case at this time. So um, I go downstairs and I work out of my home in the midst of all this going on. And, um, you know, I open the door to let the dogs out. And right by the door, we have a, an ottoman. And uh, Maggie does her devotionals. That's one of her two devotional spots. So the scriptures are sitting there. As I open the door, you know, the wind blows in. And a page goes, Another page goes, third page. So I'm standing here in my ebb state, in my flow state, and I'm like, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> and I'm like, well, okay, maybe there's something there. Maybe there's something there. So I go and I, I open the scriptures up to the page where it was, and out of the thousands of pages of scripture, this was what was there in the midst of my problem period. It says this. How I plead with God, how I implore his mercy, pouring out my troubles before him. For I am overwhelmed and desperate, and you alone know which way I ought to turn. No one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit of what happens to me. Then I prayed to you, Jehovah Lord. I pled, you are my only place of refuge. Only you can keep me safe. Hear my cry, for I am very low. Rescue me from my persecutors, for they too are strong for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison so that I can thank you. The godly will rejoice with me for all your help. And that's Psalm 142. I don't, I don't remember ever reading Psalm 142, but, I mean, that was a word. I mean, in the midst of my ebbing, okay, the Lord broke in. Okay, not because I'm good, not because of anything other than he just broke in. Um, had I been in flow, it would have been a different reaction to that. I mean, I would have basically been... The wind has blown. The wind of the Lord has opened the pages and the word of the Lord is there. But that's not what happened. No. I was reluctant. I was like too lazy, okay, to like, you know, go there. Well, as, you know, in, in a bad of ebb state as I was in, I was smart enough or spiritually intelligent enough to say, Lord, thank you for this word. I receive it. And I just prayed it back to the Lord saying, yes, Lord, you are my refuge. Lord, the snares of the enemy will not, will not get me. And I just prayed it back to the Lord. And essentially, the problems with my customer, uh, I went there the next day. They're happy. Problem solved. Everything's cool. So, you know, the distress, you know, was alleviated. But... Um, I don't know. That, you know, that happens to us. You know, we're, we're in this ebb state, and we know what we need to do, but we don't have the energy to do it. Um, so the question is, how do we get out of that? You know, how do you go from the not-on-fire state okay, to more of a flow state? And I thought I would bring my friend, Steve Coker. Steve, why don't you come on up? I'm going to need a microphone, if you've got the microphone. Um, and Steve is one of the prophetic fellows at our church. I mean, he's notorious for handing me CD teachings on the latest revelatory things. And he's just somebody who, when he gets a revelation, he gives it away. And as a result, according to the biblical principles, because he's given it away, he gets more. So, Steve, what, what do you do? What's your, what do you tell folks? Um, most of my uh, encounters with the Lord have happened lately just reading and praying the Bible. And I've had in my times where I had more 
sort of like sovereign things happen. And this has been not like that, but it's been really, even though there's sort of little encounters, it's been really rich. And I felt like he showed me a few principles that helped that. Um, in Mark 6, in that chapter, there's both the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water. And when, when Jesus walks on the water and then he gets into the boat, it says they were totally astonished for they had not understood the feeding of the 5,000 because their heart was hardened. Okay? They knew what happened. They believed in Jesus. They were his guys. But they didn't really have a soft heart. And that's actually key to understanding. Does that make sense? And so when I felt like he told me when I come to read the Bible, and I, I, I don't feel excited, I don't feel whatever, but I felt like he's told me to, to come with this like sensitive, soft place. And that's actually a place of, of understanding. I don't know if that makes sense. And then in prayer, I felt like the thing that he's been showing me is in Ephesians 2, it says grace works through faith. Okay? Well, I have some understanding of grace, but faith can seem sort of hyperbole to me. It's such a, it's such a used word. But I felt like he encouraged me with the idea to think of faith as trust in God. Trust that he's good. Trust that he wants to do what he's going to do. And then approach that with affection at the same time. So trust in his goodness, but then my heart is, is open and warm toward him. Okay, and that's, that's what I feel like he showed me about reading and praying. So Jay wanted me to share an example then of, of how that works. So I've been reading all these verses about love, and I thought, gosh, maybe I'm making too much out of love. Maybe, I, maybe I'm off track. And I felt like he brought to my mind... Uh, John 3.16, you know, you all know that. For God so loved the world. Oh, he loved the world. Okay, that was the motive. Okay, that was good. And then I felt like he encouraged me to go to 1 Corinthians 13, where we have the love chapter and the description of love. And that God is all those things. So to substitute for God so loved the world, all the attributes from 1 Corinthians 13. Okay? So then I'm, I'm trying to read this from this sensitive place, you know, for God was so kind that he sent Jesus that I wouldn't perish. Because God was so, see, I'm going to feel it again. Because God is so patient, he sent Jesus. Okay, because he doesn't take an account of wrong suffered, he sent Jesus. So you take all those things and make them personal. Okay, but you, um, because God hopes all things, he sent Jesus. You, you can see where this goes. And so... Then I'm, I'm, I'm impacted in that, and then I want to go to prayer for that, okay? And so I felt like he's really encouraged me to pray with the kind of language I would like our relationship to look like. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, I think I grew up praying, you know, oh, Heavenly Father, in a, in a, and there's nothing wrong with that, but in sort of a formal way. And he's, I feel like I've really been encouraged to pray with the kind of language I use with my family. And uh, Noel and I are, are quite affectionate with each other. And I felt like the Lord said, I, I want you to talk that way to me. And I'm like, but that's really awkward. <laughs> but if you do it, it becomes less and less awkward. Okay? And so then I would pray, uh, thank you, Father, that, that, you, that, that I can be kind toward others, that they won't perish, that I can be patient toward others. And so you try to take what's been revealed and then turn it back to the Lord with, with affection. 
In John 16, it says that the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit takes of mine and discloses it to you. So the job of the Holy Spirit is to take what's Jesus and give it to us. Okay? And so when we, when we with faith, that trust and affection, we pray those things okay, that he's shown us, then grace comes to make that true. Faith works through grace. So the Holy Spirit will come to make true those things that you pray. I, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, the other thing about this is when you have an experience like that, I'll write them in my journal and then I can go back and read them and it's, you can re-experience them or you end up sharing with them with somebody else. And so an experience is not just to be an encouragement but actually a door to more experiences. Shandai, thank you. That's good. That's good. Thank you, Steve. That's, that's, that's good. Yeah, I, I had no idea what Steve was going to share, but, you know, it just, I, I love the way that you just make it personal. Because sometimes, you know, we, we, we read Scripture as truth or as, as fact, which, in which they are, or as, as things. But, but it's when the Scripture internalizes. That's when we eat. That's when the nutrients go in. And that's, and that's when we're fed. It's, it, it's about taking it in. And, and he has different ways of doing it with us. Sometimes it's through a song. Sometimes it's through a sermon. Um, sometimes it's in prayer. Sometimes it's in experience. But God is really good at knowing exactly what you need, what each individual here needs in order to do that. So, um, so here we are. Where Steve gave some really uh, nice insight for connecting and, and moving into that, that place of, of flow again and out of ebb. But um, I did, in my research and putting this, um, my, my talk together today, um, there is tons and tons of material about um, spiritual hunger and desire for God and all these kind of things. And um, most of it is this. Okay, let me just, in a, in a nutshell, it's um, you need to confess your sin. Sin separates from God. Absolutely true. You need to repent, okay, because you just have to do that. <laughs> okay, read the word. Okay, worship. Um, uh, uh, pray. Do these things. Serve. When you do these things, you'll start to reconnect. And I'm not saying that's not true, but when you're in an ebb place, when you're not flowing, it's hard to motivate, okay? It's, it's hard to motivate to um, say, okay, I'm just going to go in the room and just confess. Ah, you know, it's just like uh, when you're in inertia, it's, it's hard, okay? It is. I mean, you're not the person, like, you know, with Maggie, you know, at 8.30 at the Dream Center, you're not one of the people that's saying, let's go minister to the prostitutes because you're not in that place. You just aren't. You're not. So, so what do you do? Well, I was looking in Scripture, and, and I found out what Jesus did to one particular individual. Okay, it was one of his disciples, okay? Totally in ebb state. Had an attitude problem. Maybe a little bit sarcastic. Maybe the worst attitude of all the disciples yet. Okay, in that place where he was living, where he was breathing, Jesus called him to be a disciple. And um, that person's name was Nathaniel. And uh, Nathaniel uh, had a, a little experience under the fig tree, which we're going to talk about. So this is what, what happened. Here's the story. Um, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one that Moses has wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Now, Nathaniel, if I was casting Nathaniel, I would probably cast David Spade as Nathaniel. He'd be like, Joseph, the carpenter's son? Is that who you mean? It's not, that's not in Scripture, okay? But this is what he did say. He said, Nazareth? 
Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said, How do you know me? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. So we look at Nathanael. Okay, here's this guy, here's David Spade with a bad attitude so far from God. Okay, he's in this place, and suddenly, with essentially two words from Jesus, two little words from Jesus, he turns around and he becomes a disciple. And he declares, maybe the first one to declare, you are the son of God. Isn't that, isn't that wild? So he's in this place of, I don't know, Negativity. I mean, it's just out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what was coming out of his mouth wasn't very good. He was, uh, you know, I mean, Israel had been under Roman occupation for a long time. The dreams and the hopes, the things that he read in the scripture, okay, were not coming to pass, okay? It happens. I mean, sometimes it might even happen to you. The promises that I received from the, the prophetic ministry, they're not coming to pass. The word that was spoken over my life did not come to pass. We get in this place where disillusionment kicks in, and he was in serious disillusionment when this happened. But, but what, what, what did happen, okay? He met Jesus, and Jesus did not see him, okay? Jesus did not see him as the one who was in disillusionment, the one with the bad attitude, the one who was negative. Who did Jesus see him at? He saw him as the one who was where? Under the fig tree. Well, what happened under the fig tree? It doesn't say what happened under the fig tree. Jesus said, you are a true Israelite. So whatever happened under the fig tree, okay, confirmed to Jesus that this one is a true one. This is a true Israelite. So you're probably asking, what is a true Israelite? They talk about Jews who are circumcised of heart. There are Jews who are outward. There are Pharisees who put on shows, okay? Aren't I religious? Aren't I a true Israelite, a real Jew, a a religious man, a pious man? No. Jesus isn't interested in that. Jesus was interested in the condition of heart. So whatever happened under that fig tree with Philip was a part where this is probably what Philip was pouring out his real heart, you know, saying, this is what I care about. This is what I'm disillusioned about. This is why I feel this way. He was crying out to God from a deep, deep place. So when he came and saw Jesus, and Jesus says, this is who you are. You are a true Israelite. Okay, he wasn't just making some casual word. And Philip took back and he says, wait a minute. What did he say? He said, how do you know me? The translation, how do you intimately know me at the deepest place of who I am, where I hurt, where I have pain, where I suffer, where I'm disillusioned, where I'm angry? How do you know me in that place, Jesus? Jesus says, I saw you. I saw you under the fig tree. I saw what you said. I see your heart, and I know your heart, and I love you, and you are a true Israelite, and I commend you. So this place of darkness, disillusionment, was turned around in a matter of seconds because Jesus saw who he was, who he really was. And here's the deal. Jesus sees who you are. You may be in a place of bad flow. You may be ebbing. You may be in a place of sin. Your heart may be filled with everything but a desire for God. But guess what? Jesus does not see you that. 
He does not see you like that. He sees the child that he died for. He sees the son. He sees the daughter. He sees the person whose promise is still bright and written over your head. That's who he sees. And guess what? That's what the voice comes out and says, this is who you are. This is not who you are. And that changed his life. And what did, what did he do? He did one thing. All he did was respond. He responded. He says, yes, you're the son of God. You have my life. I'm following you. Whatever business he had, he didn't have it anymore. Boom, he responded. So how do you get out of it? You, how do you get out of that place? You respond to God because God comes in. He's the one. He's the one that leads the 99 to come after the one. He's the one that goes after you. The scriptures say this. It says in John, it says that, that even when your own heart condemns you, I am greater than your heart. Your heart will condemn you. Your heart will say, and your heart will not lie. Your heart will say, look at what you did the other day. Look what you were thinking about. Look what you said to your wife. Look at what you did here. It's in your heart. It's a reality. It's not a lie. Your heart's condemning you, and your heart is justified. And here's the thing. You know your heart's justified. It condemns you. This is what Jesus says. That may be true, but I do not condemn you. I do not condemn you. I am bigger than your heart, and I am calling you from the place you're in back into the place that I see you, okay, which is a child, which is someone I love, which is someone your destiny, as long as you are on this side of heaven, everyone in this room, I don't care what words have been spoken over your life, I don't want kind of dross, dullness you're in. It doesn't matter. The word of God is without repentance. The faithfulness of God does not depend on your performance, on your thought life, on the sin you committed last Thursday, whatever, because he is faithful. He is faithful even when we are not faithful. And thank God he is. Thank God he is. Jesus. You know... um, I don't know, I, I, just, I just know how much that he loves you. And there's something about that place of being away from him. I mean, even, I mean, think about it, the Laodicean church, the, 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 the worst church of all time. It's the only church that Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. You know, you, you guys are terrible, okay? But you're the ones I want to fellowship. He comes after. He comes after the ones who are far away. You're in a wilderness place. You're in a desert place. You're having problems right now. Here's the deal. That is the place of encounter, okay? If you're not hungry, God will get you hungry. But here's the thing, he'll also come after you, even if you don't make the effort. But when he does come after you, he just wants a response and say, just believe me, just say yes to me. And when you do, you know, your, your, move, your move out of ebb is very quick. You're on a tsunami, you know, headed for God, and it's a good thing. You know, um, one, of the, one of the truths of Scripture is Jesus said that... Um, that the foolish things of this world are used to shame uh, the wise. So um, there was an episode of, uh, of Cheers. Um, remember Cheers? Sam Malone, Carla, everybody. Uh, old folks, thank you. Um, <laughs> and, and I honestly, I heard one of the most profound truths about God from, in this show. And it was one of the last years of Cheers, and Carla was dating a hockey player by the name of Eddie LeBlanc, okay? Now, Eddie was a great goalie until he started dating Carla, and he became a very bad goalie, okay? And then eventually, he had to leave the Boston Bruins and join an ice show as a mascot, being Eddie the Penguin, okay? Now, 
at, at one of the ends, he was in town at the Boston Garden doing the ice show, and he came over to Cheers. And the, the crazy thing was Carla still loved him, and he didn't think Carla loved him anymore because he was in his shame. I mean, I mean he was an NHL goalie. Now he's, a, he's Eddie the Penguin at the ice show. So he's in, the, he's in the back room at Sam's office. He takes off his, 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 his thing, and he's there with Carla, and Carla says, I love you. And, and Eddie, <laughs> I'm weeping over Eddie the Penguin. <laughs> okay, but Eddie says, Carla, you've seen me naked, and you love me. You've seen me naked, and you love me. Now, isn't that... Isn't that Jesus? He's seen our darkness. He's seen our pain. He's seen our shame. He's seen every regret we have, every terrible thing that we've done wrong. And he loves us. He's seen you naked. He's seen you naked. He's seen you shamed. He's seen all those bad things. And he loves you. And he's relentless. And he comes after you. And I am I'm just so glad that he does. And right now, and in this season that we're in, not just today, but this, this, this series. Um, Steve, why don't you get, uh, get Terry too. Um, God's going to be magnifying himself because this process of, of moving away from God, God gets smaller and the deeds that he did at one time, they aren't as real, but he's about making himself real to you right now. We're in a season, I'm just going to decree it right now, we're in a season of encounter. We're in a season of God meeting you. We're in a season of you coming to God, and when you meet him, when you go out to meet him, he's going to meet you halfway. He's going to be there for you. Now, one of the things that happens in our church, uh, John, at the end of services, one of the crazy little vineyard things that happens, is John will uh, call out things like, uh, somebody's hemorrhaging in your uh, left fibula. You are, uh, there's another person here, you've got an eyeball that's going to explode, and then there's somebody else here, uh, your ear is shooting out dust right now. Uh, okay, so, so John will have some of these unusual w- words, and if you haven't been hanging around circles where this is a common practice, uh, you don't know, well, what does he mean by that? What's, well, what are we supposed to do with that, okay? And honestly, sometimes, even if you've been around, you're not sure what you're supposed to do with this, especially if he happens to call you. So... Um, Terry, where's Terry Curry? Yes, Terry, come on up here with the microphone because you were a victim of one of these unusual words. And, and why don't you just, John was calling out some words. What, what, what happened? Just you tell the story. Oh, okay. Um, I think a couple weeks ago maybe it was. Um, well, I guess to back up, I've been having pain in my arm for maybe like, oh, three or four months probably. And it was bothering me, but I kept postponing doing anything about it because I thought, oh, maybe it'll go away. Or, you know, it really only hurt when I do this. So I just thought, well, I just won't do that, you know, type thing. <laughs> um, but finally, about two weeks ago, I thought, okay, I've really got to check this out and see what's going on because it's not going away. So I decided I was going to make an appointment with the doctor for the following week. But that Sunday morning, after I'd made that decision, at the end of the service, John had said, he had a couple words of knowledge, and one of them he said is someone has pain in their arm, and it's their upper arm. And the weirdest thing was about it is that the pain that I had was like in a very specific spot right here. And he touched that place on his arm, on his left arm, exactly where my pain was. And instantly I was like, that word is for me. I know that word is for me. And I just felt so confident that God was healing that arm that I, you know, I intended kind of to come up and pray, but then I got to talking with people after church and I never did. Um, but 
still, I knew that word. God healed my arm at that moment. And um, when I do this, I haven't had any pain since at all. So. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't go, don't go. Because I don't even understand this one quite fully. So, so did you feel something like when he touched you? Did you feel anything happen? I, I didn't. I didn't feel anything. I, it was just a, like a confident assurance. I feel like I guess that's how I would describe it, that I knew that God healed my arm at that moment. Um, so I don't, I don't need no prayer. Yeah, I'm done. I really knew that, and I still, I do this all the time, just to make sure, did, is it really healed? And it really is, so. Very cool, Terry, that is awesome, thank you. Thank you, that is, that is very good. And we've got a, oh, do you have a spontaneous testimony? Well, you're calling me here, so. Okay, we're mic'd, by the way. Great, I'm asking you permission, the Lord showed me something when she was yeah. doing that. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 very good. I believe when she was saying that, the Lord was speaking very specifically to everyone that two things that she said just made my blood race through me, that when she had pain, she quit doing that. And then what she said at the end was the absolute definition of faith. And so what the Lord says to you this morning is repent from accepting things by changing your your point of view into accepting something that's not appropriate for you. And then remember what the definition of faith is, because that is exactly what she did. When she heard something that she knew was for her, she believed it was so, and it was so. So my encouragement to you in the Lord is, do not accept your place of lack anymore, repent of it, and believe in faith that he will meet you exactly as you said. Boom, that's good. Amen, thanks Diane, that, that's good. Um, and then I know for a fact, too, that two weeks ago when John had a word, he had a word for um, somebody with a headache um, who got prayer. This person uh, had a number eight. You know, we always ask, we try to always ask him, what, what's your level of pain? They had a number eight headache. Uh, she got prayer. It went down to like a number five, and then it was done. She goes, I don't feel anything anymore. Headache was healed. We had somebody who had a number seven shoulder pain that John had called out. Uh, they received prayer. They, they weren't able to sleep. They went from a number seven down to a number two. Okay, just right then. Uh, and we had another person um, who works with their hands, you know, uh, under sinks and in different places. And he had a shoulder problem, and, and he was healed too. So there's three healings from just that, that maybe God wants to do something. I know that this isn't a, a big stretch, but um, what's the Lord saying today that he might want to do? Uh, just something a little different to start with. Uh, the, Jay's talk was about hunger. And, uh, you know, when you've lost your hunger for God, how do, you, how do you reignite it? How do you, you know, you find it restored? And uh, what, you know, what Steve said is, and it's, it's our emphasis always about when we move into any area of need, it always starts with God. We look at ourselves, but we're supposed to look at God. We're supposed to look at Jesus. And that when we look at Jesus, that's... That's where our focus always starts, and then everything comes from him. And it isn't, doesn't mean that we're not supposed to do something, but everything we do is a response to what he's doing. And a lot of times when we, when we lose that sense of connection with him, and we're going to explore this over the next six weeks, when we lose that sense of connection to him, it's just because we're not looking to him. He's always sending grace towards us because that's what he does. God is 
a grace-giving God. And sometimes the grace comes towards us when we're not expecting it, and it calls us to repent because we've just got a funky attitude. We're just misbehaving. Other times, you know, we're discouraged, and He just sends encouragement. When we don't feel like we deserve it, He just lavishes it on us. And see, our instinct is, I've got to do something to get God to do something for me. But that's not the gospel. That is not the good news. The good news is God is trying to get through to you. And you're running from Him. And we run from Him in a multi, you know, whole multitude of ways. And so, we have to, you know, churches use these symbols. Uh, hopefully, they don't lose their meaning. But we have to be reminded the good news is God saw our need and He sent His Son to be the way back to Him. And what Jesus did for us on that cross is a finished work. One of the last things that Jesus said before He died was, it is finished. The work that needs to be done to reconcile us to God has been done by Jesus on the cross. So when we believe in Him, we're reconciled to God because He paid the price, not because of what we do. And it's hard for us. We're conditioned by the way this world runs is. It's you do something for me, and then I do something for you. And that's what we think God is, is waiting for us to do the thing for him so he'll do something for us. But he's already done the thing for us that would need to be done on the cross. And then if we come to him through what he's done and, and receive from him, then it always elicits a response from us. I was just praying this morning and just thinking, gosh, God, I just don't feel close to you. I feel like preoccupied. And I just spent, we, a group of us were praying, and I just sat there for 45 minutes in silence and just reflected on Jesus and who he was and a God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I didn't pray a word. And as I did, it's like my heart just awakened. It just awakened, and it just got warmer and warmer and more affectionate towards God and more inclined towards Him. And I just felt everything inside me start lining up where I wanted it to be. Like the magnetic needle on my soul went, whoop, because I looked at Him and I focused on Him. And now sometimes it's a battle to do that because maybe your soul has been connected to things and you're in the grip of things that you've given yourself to. And then there is a struggle to wrestle and get to that place of rest. Because in the book of Hebrews it says, strive to enter into the rest 